I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. Welcome Liz Tinkham, former managing director of Accenture and host of The Third Act. I'm so excited to have Liz on this podcast because I know thank her ins- thank you. I know her insights will be extremely beneficial to many of our listeners. As a financial advisor, I help clients really plan for the future. I help them look at their goals, their values, and I quantitatively plan out what their retirement will look like. But time and time again, after I present these financial plans, my clients often say to me, Sherry, I don't fully want to retire. I just want to work less. I want to find a new passion. Maybe I want to try something new, but they really don't even know where to begin to start this process. This is why I think Liz's podcast is so great. and, And she'll tell you more about it as we go on. And it's called The Third Act. She says your first act is school, your second act is work, but have you thought about what you're going to do in your third act? She talked to guests who are happily pre-retired, using their time, treasure, and talent to pursue their purpose and passion in the third act of your life. So welcome, Liz. We're going to talk about your journey from college all the way to the third act. Okay, that sounds great. From first act to third act. From first act to third act. And so tell me a little bit about you and your family. We met through a mutual friend. Uh, We actually, we have a couple friends and Mm -hmm. I've been hearing your name for years and years and years. And yours as well. And I was uh, fortunate to be on your podcast. So now I want to hear more about you and tell me about you and your family. We live in Bellevue, Washington, a suburb of Seattle. Um, I'm married to my husband, John, who I met at work, Accenture years and years ago, which it was a great place to, to meet your future spouse. They kind of did the huge pre-qualification of, of, of people for you. And we have three children, adult children at this point, Katie, Jack, and Will, who are two are working, one still in school. So that's us. So did you work full-time while you were raising the kids? I did. You know, I, interestingly, I always thought I would work full-time. And, and one of the things actually that John, my husband and I spent quite a bit of time talking through when we first got married was when we had kids, what would happen, right? And who would take care of them? And um, his mom stayed home with the five kids. I think he thought it was fine that I worked. And we talked about what kind of childcare and everything. And it was very new to both of us, but it took quite a bit of conversation before we agreed to actually have a child so that we were both in agreement around the care of the child and how that would work with both of us working. Because he was a corporate lawyer and just starting out. And I was, you know, I was a new manager at Accenture. So we still had quite a few long years in front of us to keep, to keep going. So what was the secret? How did you work out? I think I just told him what we were going to do. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> no, interestingly, we decided, I, I said, we need to have a live in nanny and he was opposed to it just because neither one of us had grown up with any help. I mean, we cleaned our own house. We had zero help on either family. And he was like, 
first of all, it's weird to think about somebody coming into your house and even more so to have somebody sleeping at your house. And I knew that I had a tendency to work late and he had a tendency to run late. And so the whole drop your kid off at daycare and pick them up at five o'clock. And if it's 10 after five, you owe another hundred bucks, you know, would just been the most stressful marital situation. And we actually ended up with some just fantastic live-in nannies over the year who to this day are still friends of ours and had a very wonderful and loving relationship with my children, which is great. Yeah. I had the same nanny for about 16 years. And I always say the biggest gift you can give to a working woman is good childcare. Absolutely. Someone you trust. And that's the one thing we never skimped on. We neither. It's so important. And my kids loved her, still talk to her, part of the family. So yeah, same here. I think it's great. Take me back. I know. Are you from Ohio? I know you went to Ohio State. I'm from Illinois, but um, during high school, we moved to Columbus, Ohio. And so I ended up going to Ohio State and then I came back to the Chicago area. Okay, And how did you get to Accenture? Well, that's interesting. So I had an aerospace engineering degree, which is not the likely degree to go to what was then Arthur Anderson. But I was interviewing with all the aerospace companies and I liked them. But a friend of mine who was a year older than me, he called me and said he was working for the consulting division of Arthur Anderson at the time. He said, this place is just like you. It's, it's your personality. And a couple of other um, women in my sorority had also joined the consulting division the year before. And they're all like, you would love it. So I went and interviewed on campus and you know they liked me. It was back in Chicago. I wanted to go back. And it's funny because I literally flipped a coin two out of three to decide between Accenture or Arthur Anderson and Garrett turbine engines in Phoenix. And I was with my roommate at the time, who's still a friend of mine. And we were laughing about it a couple of weeks ago, but um, that's how I ended up there. And I thought, you know what, what's the worst case scenario? I'll go there. And if in two years, it's not working out, I'll go back to engineering. But the problem with engineering was number one, there were very few women and mm -hmm. there was a lot of driving me around to find the one woman in the plant. And then it's basically you design a screw for years before you move on. So right. I think I made the right decision. Well, I know I made the right decision. So it is it is amazing how a flip of a coin could really be your destiny for the next. How long were you there? A long time. Right? Thirty three years. Thirty three years. Yeah. So <laughs> I, know. I guess you they like changing. It. Right. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, I guess I'll keep staying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess you liked it. And that's interesting. So back when you were in engineering, there probably weren't many women. And there were eight women in my class of 100. Wow. Which wasn't terrible. Actually, what's happened in engineering was that was the you know, sort of early eighties. And there were, there were well more women in engineering in the early eighties than in the nineties. So there was a dip that happened, which I didn't know because I was working and then it's, you know, subsequently due to all the STEM efforts has gone back up. Yeah. My daughter majored in engineering. She's a system control and she actually interviewed at Accenture and interviewed at an engineering firm. And I think she flipped the coin and ended up going to an engineering consulting firm. She can always come back. You know, we always say she's been there five years. It would have been interesting if she would have been at Accenture. So, yeah. And I think I told you, I started my career at Arthur Anderson. I know. I know. So you were on the audit and tax side. I was on the consulting side. So, you know, great people, well-run firm. It was a great place to start your career. Oh yeah. And then I just got really lucky because I just had a lot of very interesting opportunities. Yeah. I was cleaning out my drawers. I actually 
they used to have the corporate challenge and I found some Arthur Anderson sweatpants and a shirt and I posted it on LinkedIn and everyone was like, oh my God, Arthur. And it was a picture of the doors. You remember the little doors that they had? Oh yeah, yeah, out of St. Charles, right? Yeah, fun stuff. So when you were at Accenture, I'm sure you had many different roles. So can you kind of walk us through what you did at Accenture? Everybody kind of starts, well, back then the same way you work on big client projects and do a lot of systems work. And then, so I just took on increasing uh, roles in those projects and I got a niche of doing all telecommunications work early on, first at Pacific Bell out in California, then at Ameritech, the old regional Bell operating companies and a, you know, kind of early career of doing big systems, billing and customer care systems. And then as I got closer to being a partner, I started branching out a little bit, doing more network work, more strategy work. And then eventually after I became a partner, I had other clients and I started focusing more on classical management consulting, things like customer relationship management, strategy, supply chain. Eventually I ended up running our North America practice for that then our global practice, which was really fun for communications, media and technology globally. And then I wanted to go back to client work because I think being a client account partner at Accenture is the best job because you're in full control, right? You know, and all those other jobs, it's a sort of an indirect influence role. And this one, you know, the PL for the client reported to me, everything that happened reported to me. So I was in Chicago, I was 50 years old, and I said to my boss, I think I want to change. Love to be a client account partner again for a big client. Calls me back a week later. He says, Hey, how about Microsoft? And I said, Oh, Seattle. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And I said to my husband, what would you think about moving to Seattle? I mean, we were yeah. 50. We'd lived in the same house in River Forest. You know where River Forest is for quite a while. We had at one point moved to New Jersey for two years for me and work. And that was fine, but nobody liked it. So I felt like they had all done their sort of penance for me. And he's like, well, let's go take a look. And, you know, here we are, you know, 10 years later, we were always going to come back to Chicago, but we got out here. The job worked out to be the best job I've ever had at Accenture. It was really fun. I did it for five and a half years before I retired and we love the Pacific Northwest. So we decided to stay here. But you come to Chicago quite a bit, right? I do. I do. Yeah. So what are you doing now? And tell me about how you started the third act podcast. So when I went to retire, you know, I kind of knew maybe 18 months out sort of what my plan was to retire. And I had no thoughts at all as to what I was going to do, because basically I had my kids and I had my job and they were all consuming. And how old were your kids about this time when you were going to retire? So my youngest one was still in high school. My middle one was in college and my oldest one was working. So they were all older, but I still had one in high school. I thought I'll have like one year of influence left. (laughs) Ha ha. Right. But I always thought I always had this sort of image in my head of like if Accenture was a football game and I'm on the offense, I'm running and I'm, you know, I've got the football, which is my job and I'm running and I'm going to get to that goal line. And I'm going to be one of those people who's the ball is going to outstretch to go over and I'm just going to collapse, you know, over the goal line. And I'm just going to be dead like for a couple of years. Cause I'm going to be so exhausted from the career. And when I retired, I found like, Oh no, I'm really not exhausted. You know, I still have quite a bit of energy and there were definitely things I wanted to do with, exercise and travel and just, you know, cleaning out my house and all the things I'd never done. Did you clean out the house? No. Okay. (laughs) I mean, like maybe one closet, 
I was getting impressed there for a minute. Okay. No, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, yeah, that's not going very well. But you did exercise. I know that. I exercise all the time, right? Because that was harder to do when I was working. And I started looking around like, well, okay, so what are other women like me doing? So think about, Sherry, our demographic of women who went to school in the sort of late, maybe the early 80s, who did well in school, who did well in college, went out and got a good job and kept working. And there weren't a lot of us who kept working all the way. And so as you look ahead of you and think, who are my role models? The people who had your job in front of you were mostly guys. And if you look at what they're doing, a lot of them are playing golf and they're happy to play golf or they're riding their bikes or whatever. And I thought I've been in this class of women who have always been ambitious and who have their own money, right? They're not dependent on their husbands for money. And they're not just going to sit still. And here I was, and I started reading all these retirement books, which my husband had curated for me. Was he retired or is he still working? No, he's still working. He's like, I know you need the right books. And all the books I read were great, but they were all written from the point of view of a man. And they weren't written from the point of view of a 55 year old woman who had, you know, plenty of time, talent and treasure left. So after a year or two, I'm with a board of a group called the Athena Alliance, which is an executive education service and a networking group for senior women. And I started talking to the CEO and I'm like, you know, how about a podcast? Because all the women in the group are the same. So that's how I started thinking about this notion of the third act. And, you know, what do you do when you still have time, talent, treasure, energy, and you're kind of pre-tired, you're not retired. And I thought I'll just interview people and ask them what they're doing and see what I can learn to figure out my own third act, right? So I kind of call it my vanity project um, because it's really for me to learn. And it's been really a fascinating adventure. It's been so much fun to meet people and interview them like yourself, 65 other people. So, And what have you learned? What are some of the takeaways or things that have helped you? Yeah. I mean, I think what's been interesting is it's been mostly women that I've interviewed, but some men as well, but in all cases, in all cases for the women, they're all giving back to women in different ways. And I'll give you a couple of examples. A friend of mine, Heather Redmond, who I interviewed in season one, she had been a corporate lawyer, a lawyer for companies. Then she'd gone on and I think she was a COO for a company and done some really big jobs, had always wanted to get into venture capital, had always had seen that women weren't getting funding, had worked at some startups. And so she and two male friends of hers launched a venture capital firm here in Seattle called Flying Fish because she knew that the best way to empower women and to give them a chance to grow their own business was to give them money. And that's where the power was. And so she had seen enough of the life cycle of things to realize that that's where the power is. And she's so charismatic and she networked her way around Seattle, got people, you know, on the first raise to raise, you know, significant fund. And then she's thinking about the third fund. So that was one thing. It's like, if you can't make it happen, what's the best way to empower women? Well, I'm just going to go out and do it. And I see that happening over and over. There's another woman I interviewed who is the lead of a women-only angels group. I mean, share what you're doing in your blog and your podcast and in giving advice to women and getting out there and really putting yourself out there to talk to people about what they should do next. It's just, it's been really incredible to see. The other thing I've seen is that what you liked as a kid or what you liked in college a lot of people have gone back to. So another person I interviewed, she always loved making Italian wines because she's Italian and her grandmother used to do it. And after running an ad agency until she was 50, she decided to start her own Amaro business here in the Seattle area. And so now she runs um, an entire spirits company and it's growing, right? So she took one of her loves and has moved that on. 
another guy friend of mine, his dad was the lead of the Department of French Literature and French History at the University of Iowa. He's a very well-studied guy. He loves history. And he took this long drive during the coronavirus. And he's like, I'm not hearing any podcasts that I really like and I love history. So he started his own, The History of the Americans, which has gotten to be wildly popular. So it's kind of this whole notion of, you know, go back to thinking about what you love and what you'd love to do and just do it. And it's amazing how successful people have been. It's really fun to hear people's stories. I'm looking forward to the podcast too, as the stories. And I actually wrote a blog about this, even if you're working or you're pre-retired or retired, I say, go back to what you love to do. And I recently started playing tennis again. I played all through high school and with work and kids, I stopped playing, but I'm now on a tennis league playing other clubs. And I, you know, I trained Great. my kids for all these years and now I call them up. I'm like, mom, what are match today? And it's like, <laughs> it's so fun. Cause I was so competitive, but I, I do agree. And my partner, Dave, uh, he plays in a band and we're groupies. We watch his band. But I think the one thing I try to mention in a lot of my podcast is the key to financial happiness is living within your means. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of the people that you're meeting with are able to have their third act because they are. you only have a certain amount of resources and you can spend them all in your 40s and 50s or maybe in your early 60s. Or you could spend less when you're younger and have that money so you can have your third act. So I always try to uh, go back to my dad's favorite quote who said, you can have anything you want, not everything. So pick what's most important. Not everything you want, right? That's a great advice. So I think the people you're interviewing, hopefully they had their finances in order, they live within their means, and they're able to have their third act. So what kind of things, if we have listeners that are thinking, Maybe they're in their mid fifties, early sixties, and they have the energy that we both have, and they're not ready to fully retire. What are some thought provoking questions or things that they should be thinking about for their third act? Like what process did you go through? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is how do you want to spend your time? And the year I retired or right before I retired, another male friend of mine had retired a year before. And he said, the first year after you retire, just say yes to everything because you're so used to saying no to everything that say yes. And you're going to go to a lot of stuff that, you know, you don't like it, but at least you're trying it out. I lived with that advice for maybe a little too long. Like I said, yes to everything for about three years. But I bet you said yes to a few things before you retired too. Well, yeah. And now I'm to the point of sort of like some of this stuff is just bothering me. And so I'm starting to sort of peel back. But the interesting thing about it is that there's so much out there that you don't know because you're working or you're with your kids or you're dealing with your family. And as soon as you like pop your head up out of the sand, go to lunch with different friends, go to things, you know, for, I mean, it's been a little harder because of COVID, but it's starting to open up again, meet some new people, join maybe a nonprofit board, just get out there and experience new stuff. Because I think things that, that you might not have ever thought about you know, you'll really start to enjoy. Like I joined our choir at our church. I used to sing in junior high and high school. And for years, uh, you know, I went to sing at Christmas and I made it to like two rehearsals. And then, uh, you know, I was in Prague for two weeks and then, you know, it's Christmas. So that was the end of it. I couldn't, you know, I didn't know the parts, but right before I retired, I thought, okay, I'm going to make a commitment to do that. And that's been really, really great. I mean, it's mostly people who are older than me, and, you know, they don't have the same kind of lives I've had, but it's been so enjoyable to 
be a part of that group and sing every Sunday and all that. I really missed it during COVID. We finally got back together. So it's that kind of thing where, you know, really think about the things that you used to do that you love and try it again, like tennis. Yeah. And I have a a chapter in my book, maximize your return on life, invest your time and money in what you value most. And there's a whole chapter on time. When I realized Love that um, I was over-programmed, my daughter, you, you'll, you're a skier, you've uh, tore her ACL and I took a week of work to help her with the surgery and I was had to cancel a bunch of appointments and I said, oh my God, I'm so busy. And then I realized it was the next week and the next week. And so uh, part of the book, and I think this is what you're saying, is really take the time to really figure out your core values values change over time Mm -hmm. and what you valued when you were working may be very different when you're retired. And so look at those values. And when you spend your time, you know, we have a finite number of hours, make sure how you're spending your time does uh, fit with those values. But I love what you said, try and say yes, because you never know, there may be something you never thought about that is just going to get you excited. And, you know, I know there's a lot of fears I've heard from my clients is they have had a paycheck for 40 years or 45 years and not having that paycheck come in is very scary. And so with our clients, we try to set up, you know, a monthly distribution so they feel like they're getting paid and we can monitor and see. But I think that's, that's the fear, the fear of boredom. And I think a lot of clients I talk to, their identity is built around their career. And mine was, I mean, my card. Yeah. I mean, what, how do I introduce myself? Right. So how did you get through that? That's a big thing I hear about. I'd say half of my podcast guests and I've talked about this and how hard it is. Some people have been like, it was fine. Well, I had another very small, but part-time job teaching at the university of Washington, which has gotten bigger since I retired. Uh, so I just say I teach at the university of Washington or for the first few years, first few months, I should say, I'd say, yeah, I just retired from Accenture. I was this or that, but now I'm right. like, whatever, <laughs> you know, that was five years ago and I'm out living my own life, but it took a while to go from five, 600 emails a day to five. And literally like February 28th, I'm getting 500 March 1st, the day I'm retired and they take my email away. You know, that's like the last day five yeah. and you know, it's over. And you know, they don't want you anymore. You like, it's not that they didn't like me, but it's like, sorry, you did your job. It's time to move on. Go do something fun. I'm like, but I need to be on the phone at seven in the morning, right? So bring me back to that first month after you retired. What what was life like? I mean, you went from 500 emails to five. Did you take a big trip? Uh, it was March of 2017. So I was probably, I was still teaching class a little bit. That's the end of the winter quarter in March. It was hard. I, you know, there were still a few little lingering things that I had an occasional call, but I mean, it really shut off. I remember going to the mall on a Monday and walking around and thinking to myself, who are these people at the mall? Okay. Let's categorize them. There's moms with babies. Okay. They're okay to be here. And there's older people, but people who were my age or younger, who were in the, who didn't have a kid or who weren't older. I wanted to go up to him and go, what are you doing here? It's two o'clock on Monday. Like, what do you do for a living that could possibly allow you to go to the mall at a two o'clock? And I was also like, there's no lines, <laughs> the grocery store, you know, you can go, you know, there's nobody out here. And I felt so weird. I felt like a fraud. And I also felt guilty that I wasn't working. I mean, that took a while to get over, right? That, you know, you're not working at three o'clock on Monday, or you're not working at two o'clock on Thursday. 
But for a while, I really was like, I don't get what people are doing. And it wasn't in a judgmental sense as much as just sort of curiosity, because I had never been to the mall probably at two o'clock on a Monday ever. (laughs) So, you know, so it's different. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, even when you're on vacation, we're often still thinking about work. So this was just all of a sudden like the Band-Aid was taken off. And I see you're also on some boards. I am. So one of the things I wanted to do was to take the knowledge I have as being a consultant and um, use it on board. So I'm on three private company boards and one public company board, which I just got on and a non-for-profit board. And those have been very rewarding, particularly the um, private company boards, because they're all at different stages of growth. And when you're on a private company board, the company could run out of money. And I hadn't been in the situation where you're making a decision that is going to impact whether or not the company runs out of money in a long time. I mean, when I started with Arthur Anderson, we probably had, I don't know, five, 6,000 people in the consulting division. Even when we split, or even when I went to a new client and we, you know, we didn't have any work, there was never a question of that the company was going to run out of money, right? So it's been really interesting being on those boards and, you know, kind of watching how decisions play out at that ground level, especially with the pandemic and now with things turning again. I mean, it's just, it's really fun and fascinating, but hard. It's hard, especially for the founders. And how did you get on these boards? Because I, I have a lot of my clients say, you know, that's kind of one of my goals when I retire is I'd like to get on a board. So what's the process? Well, before I retired, I kind of knew I might want to do it. So I have a friend in San Francisco who's former Accenture person, and uh, she invited me down to a women in boards event held by this group, the Athena Alliance. And it was basically, it was a discussion on how do you build your board bio? You know, what's it going to take? And I remember several people telling me because, you know, my background, oh, you won't have any problems getting on a board. And then I went down to this meeting and it was Anna Winblad from Winblad Ventures and some CEOs from startup companies and probably 40 women who were, you know, various levels of management, senior management, probably no CEOs. And you know, I had this funny senior managing director title from Accenture and some of these other people were like chief product officer, that type of thing. And the people in the front of the room, the people speaking said, we got a list of who's here. You're, you're all really well qualified, but you're all going to have a really hard time getting on a board because the way that the search firms sort is they're sorting for CEO, CFO, C something, and then president. And if you don't have that in your title, they're going to have a hard time finding you even though they want you because they ha- you have exactly the knowledge that they want, they're never going to find you. So over the course of the next year or two with Athena, we really worked on creating demand for the women in our group, You know, really working on people's brand packages and board bios and everything. And then our founder and uh, CEO, Coco, I mean, she just gets out and sort of beats the trees and uh, the valley and, and in other, particularly in venture capital firms for independent board director spots on private companies, because that's a good place for people to start if they're not a CEO or a CFO on a public company. And then, you know, you can apply. And that's what I did. So I got on my first board particle through that. I'm on the Athena board for, because we went from a nonprofit to a for-profit. And then the third board I got on was a friend of mine from Accenture who called me and said, you know, you have the right skills. And then through him, that connection I got an offer to come and work or get interviewed for Atos, which is a public company board in France. So it's a bit of networking and you really got to work it. So if you've got clients listening to this, I would say that it's absolutely doable, but it takes time. You could hit it like in a month for sure, 
I'd say five at bats at public company boards before I got one. And that was over five years. Right. And people would tell me, we love you. You've got the right skills. We could so use you on your board, but we pick somebody who was already on a public company board. I'm like, Oh, this is so circular. How am I ever going to make it happen? But in doing those private company boards, I've gained a ton of skills as well. Great. And we'll list the website of Athena. Always looking for more members. It's a great group to be in. And if you're thinking of going on a board, like you said, it's not going to be a one month process. You probably have to get your resume. You have to make sure you understand what they're looking for and and the finance background and things like that. So you got to network yourself really hard and you got to network. Yeah. I think it's like anything you got to get your toe in and then it opens. So this has been great. And I could talk to you for another hour. Thank you, Sherry. You too. And we have, (laughs) and we have, yes, and we will, but I just, you've been so successful and I know there's a lot of young listeners So what advice would you give your younger self? You know, I know you have kids, one enters the workforce, one's going to be, I have two daughters that are very young in the workforce. What advice would you give our young listeners and what made you successful? Yeah, I mean, two pieces of advice, one that made me successful and one is something I wish I would done. I think the reason that I have been successful is that I said yes to a lot of opportunities without really thinking about that it could go wrong. Like I'm a great person to say, what's the worst case scenario, right? So one year when I had Katie and I think Jack was a baby, they asked me to go to Argentina and move to Argentina to run a big project. And I mean, who goes to Argentina with two little kids and a husband who's working and all that? And, and basically I went home, I talked to my husband and he's like, well, that's what you really need to do. And I said, sure, I'll consider it. Well, it never came to pass, but I got so many brownie points for at least being willing to consider it because I thought if it all comes to pass, we'll make it work. And you can almost always make things work. And so I took a lot of opportunities um, like moving to New Jersey or moving to Seattle when I'm 50 that most people would be afraid to do because they'd be like, oh, I don't want to disrupt things. And they have always worked out and that helped to advance my career. So I'd say, you know, sort of say yes to things and just always think about what's the worst case scenario. And once you play that out in your head, you'll be like, "Ah, I can handle all that. The second thing I would say is that when I was uh, working and I had my kids, I was of the generation of people who stayed at work until seven or eight at night. And so I was not always present for my kids. And I regret that. And I think younger women are so much better at managing their time and, and drawing firm boundaries And I don't think I did a particularly good job of that. So if you're a younger person, male or female, and to choose to have another person in your life or children in your life, just remember work's always going to be there. And so go home, be present, get off your phone, you know, because your kids grow up, you know this, they grow up so fast. Yeah, that's a great advice. And I always say there is no such thing as work-life balance. There's times you have to be at work more. There's times the kids need you. And I I really think the pandemic has taught us that we can get the job done virtually. I never in my career, I was always on that early train and in the office and took, you know, was I going to take the 6.30 or 7.30 train home? You know, it would come every hour. And, you know, we have a work from home schedule here at our office. But what we found is the work just gets done. And maybe, you know, the next generation will find a way to work from home, put their kids to bed. If they have to go back to work, get the job done. And if you're wired to get the job done, you're going to get the job done. It doesn't have to be FaceTime. So, right. So where can we find you, Liz, uh, the podcast and, and more about how we can find you? The podcast is at Third Act Podcast. So you can just do that or you can 
you know, Google or Bing me. And then I'm on LinkedIn. I can share that. Just Liz Tink, I'm on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. Well, thank you. It's so fun. And we'll have the Athena. We'll have Liz's uh, link to LinkedIn on our website. Our website is for the podcast is MaximizeYourReturnOnLife.com. If you'd like to learn more about how you can maximize your return on life, our firm works with our clients to do that. And it's Rappaport Rikers Capital Management. You can find us at rrcapital.com. And if you like our podcast, which I hope you do, please follow us where you listen to your podcast. So thank you again, Liz. Thank you. And I look forward to many, many more conversations. And thank you for joining the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. Thanks.